Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and it is so good to be with you this morning. As Jesse said, we are finishing our series on the Lord's Prayer, Words That Change Your World. So if you have your Bible, please go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Um, 1727 was the year when a group of people who had settled in Saxony, Germany, uh, were beginning to experience difficulty amongst their community. There was division and strife, and it looked like the community was going to break apart. But they committed themselves to pray, to address this situation, and in doing so, they called out to God that he would bring renewal to them and change the situation. It wasn't soon long after that they did that that they experienced a visitation from God. And their circumstances changed, unity happened, people in the community started coming to Christ. They referred to that summer of 1727 as the Golden Summer. And out of that experience, 24 men and 24 women committed themselves to pray an hour in a day, uh, a different time of day, so that the full 24 hours would be covered by someone in prayer each and every day. They had experienced God move in their community through prayer, and they wanted to contend for more. It's interesting, the average age of the person involved in that was about 30 years of age, and their leader, Nicholas Zinzendorf, was 27. Looking back on that time, the Memorial Days, um, which was a, a, a publication several years after, said this about them. The thought struck some brethren and sisters that it might be well to set apart certain hours for the purpose of prayer, at which seasons all might be reminded of its excellency and be induced by the promises annexed to fervent, persevering prayer to pour out their hearts before the Lord. The excellency of prayer and its promises. You know, Jesus taught his disciples about prayer because he thought it was important. And as we've been looking at in this series, in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount where we have Jesus' largest body of teaching, is this teaching on how to pray. And Jesus thought it was so important that he repeated himself about this to his disciples. You see, the Lord's Prayer, as we refer to it, is mentioned not only in Matthew, but also in Luke's Gospel. And they appear to be separate occasions. So in Luke's gospel, we're told the disciples come to Jesus and they say, like, we, we've seen you pray. We've seen that this has such a huge impact on your life and your ministry. Would you please teach us how to pray? And as Jesus does that, he repeats himself. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer and the instruction on how to pray is brief, but it's brilliant in its brevity. It's said to have covered all facets of life. Daryl Johnson, in his book, 57 Words That Change Your World, which we've referred to often, in it, he talks about how the scope of the Lord's Prayer is everything, every moment, every dimension of life. It covers our physical life when we ask the Lord for daily bread. It touches our social life when we're asking God for forgiveness. And it touches our spiritual life as it directs us to pray that God's name would be hallowed. 
And Daryl points out something that I had not seen before in that he says it's also a model for discipleship. We first see, we first learn about God's name, he says, then God's character, who God is and what God is like. Then we begin to learn what his kingdom is all about and how to live in it while living in the world. Then we begin to learn his will, his pleasures, his great purpose for his people and for the world, discovering how he wants us to cooperate with him as he fulfills his gracious plan. Then we learn to trust him for our bread, for our sustenance. We learn to take greater risks for him as we can trust him more. Then we learn forgiveness. We begin to experience the grace and mercy of God that cancels all our debts and which then frees us to extend mercy to others, even to our enemies. And then we begin to understand the nature of the spiritual battles in which humanity is caught, and we learn how to stand against the onslaught of the evil's temptations. A comprehensive prayer that Jesus gave to us, and I think that Jesus would want for us to, to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for how we pray in our own individual lives, to use as a model for how we pray in our families, to use it as a model for how we pray in our churches, for how we pray in our communities, for how we pray as our city together, that, that this model for prayer could influence how we pray in every aspect and places where we can possibly pray. Pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven. Now, most of us, uh, when we say this prayer, we also include some words that come at the end of what we've just read and recited from Matthew's gospel. And it's like a crescendo to me. So if you've ever been to the Vancouver fireworks, the Symphony of Light, and you know you're watching the fireworks, it usually goes for, what, 20 minutes or so. And then at the end, you know when the end is coming because it's like they blow the wad, right? It's like bam, bam, boom, boom, every level. And so it is with this phrase at, at the end of, of the Lord's Prayer that we so often recite. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. Amen. It's like this booming crescendo. But if you look at your Bible, chances are for many of you, that's not included. And it's there as a footnote in your Bible because it's debated as to whether this is actually words of divine scripture uh, there are two families of manuscripts, and, and what scholars often look at as the earlier manuscripts does not include this. But one thing we do know, and we are certain of, the early church often said these words as a doxology, a praise, a worship that they, they put at the end of this prayer. And it's like this big encouragement as we pray the Lord's Prayer that there's a reason for why we're saying it. And we want to remind ourselves... For God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory forever. Amen. That word for there is a word of explanation or purpose. So when somebody uh, says something to you and then they add the phrase for, usually it explains why, why, why they're doing what they're doing. So for, give you an example. Um, I'm going to go to bed early tonight for I have a really busy day tomorrow. That, that phrase for explains why you're going to go to bed early tonight. I mean, what's wrong with you? Or I'm going to pursue further education for I want to get a better job. So now I know why you want to pursue a better education. 
So when we look at these words, for yours is the kingdom. What it's telling us is the the explanation why we can pray this prayer and, and why it can mean so much to us and why we should pray it is for this reason, because it's not about us and how we can pray. It's all about God and who he is. For yours, for God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory. Forever. Forever. Now as we think about these words, I think it's really important for us to understand the context of what would have been going on when when the church recited these words at the end of the first century, early second century. See, if you were to ask the average citizen at that time, whose is the kingdom, whose is the power, whose is the glory, they would not have said God. They would have said Rome. Rome is the kingdom. Rome is the power. Rome is the glory. Cicero, who was a lawyer and philosopher at the time, critiqued the Roman government. He said, behold the man who conceived a great desire to be king of the Romans and master of the entire world, which they were, and accomplished this. Whoever says that this desire was honorable is a madman, since he approves of the death of the laws and liberty and considers their hideous and repulsive suppression Gloria, Cicero was attacking the barbaric tactics of Rome and its, and its soldiers. If, the, if, if Roman soldiers got a sniff of rebellion in a community, in a village, they would come and they'd ransack that village. They would kill the elderly. They would take some of the people and bring them back to the city of Rome and sell them as slaves. As a deterrent against rebellion, they would set up crosses on the roadways and they would hang people there to remind people, don't mess with Rome. Rome is the kingdom. Rome is the power. Rome is the glory. In B.C. 37, Herod the Great was installed as a Jewish puppet king over the Jewish people in in Judea. And Herod was both paranoid and, and politically shrewd. Herod is the one at the time of Jesus' birth who had all the babies killed because he felt threatened that there was a king coming who would contest his power and authority. He was also architecturally brilliant, and so he helped the Jews in in trying to sort of soften the relationship with them. He helped them rebuild their temple. He also created a number of magnificent structures of Roman architecture throughout the land. In Caesarea, there's uh, dwelling quarters that we still have uh, remains of and an aqueduct that still sits there in its beauty. And it, it is a, it's a pointer to the glory of that is Rome, as it was referred to. Rome is the power. Rome is the kingdom. Rome is the glory. And of course, there were people who did not did not like that, that rebelled against that. And so in, in Jewish history, you have small groups who, who rise up and rebel, like an Arab Spring. They would fight against this Roman rule, but very quickly they would be squashed and they would be killed. And then you have Christians who are not rebelling against Rome in a physical way, but who by their declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord, that was seen as treason against the, against the state because Caesar is Lord. But they declared Jesus, and so we see periods of intense persecution after Herod's time and after Jesus came and went. There's, there's uh, Nero in around AD 67 who persecuted the Christians viciously. There's Domitian in, in 81 AD who, who uh, commanded a, a persecution of believers. And it happens throughout the land sporadically. 
because of their allegiance to Jesus. So when the church is, is reciting, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, they're reciting something that is very real to them in the face of persecution. It, they're reciting something that they have to believe, that there's a greater reality than the natural reality that is facing them every day as they sit under the physical, natural rule of Rome. Today there are approximately 200 million believers in Jesus Christ who don't live their lives like we do with the freedoms that we have to meet any way that we want. But approximately six times the population of Canada, that's what 200 million is, people around the world who because of their faith in Jesus suffer persecution, potential harm, and some even martyrdom because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Every time they, every time the early church, every time we recite these words, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, we are declaring a different reality, a reality that supersedes what we may be experiencing in the natural and I know that most of us in this room today were thinking, well, yeah, but how does that apply to my life? And, and no, we do not have a physical Rome that's oppressing us, but we do have things that want to rule over us like Rome would. It can be something so, so uh, within us like fear, where we have fear that, that cripples us from making decisions to step out for the kingdom of God. We can have failures, past failures that want to rule over us and prevent us from serving in the gifting that God has given to us because we failed in that way before. We can feel trapped and oppressed by financial situations that we're in and, and we feel like that, that debt is ruling over us. We can be in a relationship, a marriage where, where we've gotten into this rut of this, this cycle of caustic relationship with one another and unforgiveness and that wants to rule over us. It can be substance abuse, addiction, sin, which wants to rule over us. We can all have a Rome. But when we confess these words at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power we are declaring a different reality than what is in front of us. And it's not to seek our self-rule, but it's to seek God's rule. That he would rule over us because he is king. He does rule and he has the power. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice this is not a petition. This is not something that we are asking God to do. This is a declaration. This is a statement of truth. This is a statement of faith whereby we are speaking to our souls. We're speaking to one another. We're speaking to the unseen world. A reality that supersedes everything around us. That in fact, no matter what we see with our naked eyes, no matter who's in political office, no matter what I'm experiencing in my life that's trying to threaten me and rule over me, no political power, no fear, no failure, no sin has the right to rule over me because God rules. It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's his dominion. And it's his glory. This sets us up to pray. 
to pray with faith, to pray believing, to pray knowing that as we walk through the things that Jesus has given us, the the content that Christ has given us to pray, that we can pray those things knowing that we can ask now for what is in heaven to be done here on earth because God rules that superior realm and he can surely make happen on earth what is happening in heaven. Do we believe it? Will we live it? And when we pray for it. The church saw this demonstrated in Jesus. They saw that though it looked like he was defeated, though Rome and the, the Jewish leaders who hated him, it, it appeared that they had won the victory, that when he was put to the cross and he died a brutal death and then rose from that death, they knew that his victory was a clear demonstration of what they were now repeating at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Forever. If you ever look back on your life and you realize that you've invested in, I don't know, an adventure, uh, something that seemed really important at the time and you gave a lot of investment of time and energy, maybe even money into it. And now as you look back on it, you go, why was I so committed to that? Like, why was I so involved in that? You know, it could be a game you were involved in a number of years ago. Like you, you, you wanted to win at it, achieve a higher level, or maybe it was a sport or some kind of promotion in a business. And you go, why was I so invested in that? Because now it means nothing to you. It's, it's lost its value. It's, it's waned and it no longer matters. I remember as I was thinking about this, um, you know, we would sometimes give our girls money for Christmas, and this particular year, all the rage was a particular Adidas jacket. And so you had to have the Adidas jacket with the stripes, and it had to be a certain color, and you'd go to a store, and they're sold out. And so we're running around, you know, the lower mainland trying to find the right size and the right color with the right stripes. And, and it just seems so important in the moment. And and then a few years later, you're going through your, your clothing of your family and you're, you know, you're reducing things and you, you get this jacket and you go, oh, why did we ever think that was necessary? Like it's baggy, you know, clothing fits tightly nowadays. It's baggy. The colors, that's an ugly green and, and you end up throwing it away. But it seems so important in the moment. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There's no end to the rule, the reign, the glory, the power of God. It lasts forever. It forever has value. And it forever exists. Some of you know I went to Israel recently. And um, as I'm touring the, the country, is most amazing thing. I, I learned something about Israel and archaeology. They have many sites that are called tells, T-E-L, tells. And what they are is they, from a distance, they can look just like a mound of dirt, like on the flat terrain, then all of a sudden there's this mound of dirt, like a big hill, and it can be, like, it can be bigger than an acre or two. It can be very large, but they call them tells. And what they are, they're, they're, they're actually sites of cities, of history, and what's happened is a civilization used to exist there as a city. And then 
When that civilization was defeated, another civilization would build on top. And when that civilization no longer existed in power, another civilization would build on top. And so archaeologists can go there and they can begin to dig and, the, and they can, as they're dis discovering the different things at the different layers, they can tell you which civilization, you know, this is that period, this is the Bronze Age, this is the Iron Age, this was uh, first century Israel and Rome, and this is the Byzantine Age. They can tell you based on that. That's most fascinating. And, and so I've got a picture there of one of the ruins that we went to. But my point is, you see, Rome thought it was so powerful it's just a layer now. It's just a layer in the dirt. And yet that small group of Christians that, that committed their lives to Jesus Christ, that saw him rise from the dead, 120 people that, that began in a, in a room of prayer on which God poured out his spirit, and because they had seen the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the victorious one, and believed in him, and, and, and prayed and gave their life to live in the way that he taught them. Here we are today where Rome is but a, a study in a history book and a dig of archaeology, and the followers of Jesus Christ today exist on this planet in, in over a billion people. Because God's is the kingdom. God's is the power. God's is the glory. Forever. Forever. You know the uh, group of people in Saxony, Germany that I talked about at the beginning, the Moravians as we know them, do you know that their relay of prayer, 24 hour, day after day after day, has said to have gone on for 100 years? 100 years committed to pray because they believed what we're talking about this morning. And as they prayed, they began to be concerned not only that they would pray, but that they would live out this prayer. And so, out of that group of praying people, um, was sent out some 300 missionaries over time. And they would go to the most difficult places in the world because they believed that God ruled, that Jesus was victorious. In fact, they had a, an emblem made up to that, that effect. They had a seal, and on it was a lamb on a crimson ground with a cross of the resurrection and a banner of triumph that said, Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power forever. Amen. You see, when we, when we look at the instruction that Jesus gave us on how to pray, and we realize that what really matters in this equation is the one whom we're praying to, that he is the all-powerful ruler, sovereign God, that there is no, nothing more glorious, nothing more beautiful than him, that we are praying to him, then we know that our words will and can change the world as we both live them and pray them for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, this morning I thank you for your testimony and your witness of your greatness, Lord. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, and your great love for us, Lord, that he would give his life for us, die for us. But Lord, we are eternally grateful that he rose from the dead 
so that we can be forgiven of our sins and live eternally in the victory that he purchased over Satan, sin, and death, Lord, and walk in eternal victory and eternal relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for this time that we have here on the earth that, Lord, we would enlist ourselves with you, Lord, to partner with you in this privilege of prayer for your kingdom. Lord, that we would pray as you taught us to pray and we would do so fervently. And then, Lord, we would live our lives to be an answer to those prayers as well. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever. We exalt you and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.